You're listening to Get Out and Drive Podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Sean Mr. Sedan Man Cheryl. We'll be bringing you gearheads all the information you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? Hey, we're back with another episode of Get Out and Drive Podcast. I'm Sean, Mr. Sedan Man Cheryl. I'm John Custom Carnard Meyer. You know, John, there's uh, all kinds of people on the uh, internet nowadays doing videos and right. shows and, and posting pictures. And uh, we got this guy with us today that, uh, I don't know, we kind of stumbled across. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I see what a, Let's see if we can figure out who he is here. Uh, he is the host of Finnegan's Garage on YouTube. Right. Roadkill and Faster with Finnegan on the Motor Trend channel. Oh. I've seen that on my television before. Yeah, I think I've seen this guy before <laughs> a couple of times. Uh, Mike Finnegan, uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm going to ask right off the bat, uh, Death Metal Charger, the 2JZ swap, what's, what's the, the love-hate uh, ratio on that that you're getting feedback for? Oh, it's a solid 50-50, which is always the perfect ratio in my world. Yes. Like, yes. Yep. Yeah, if everybody loved it, I, I'd be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was awesome and, and horrible at the same time. But, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I love it. Uh, and, you know, what I tell people is like, you know, that car is never going to be what most people consider a show car nice. So why not, mm-hmm. you know, make nah, it fun, make yeah. it, uh, make it something people talk about. Right. Yeah. And for those of you at home that don't know about it, it's a 1968 Dodge Charger that was totaled in 1968. It was only a few months old and uh, a farmer in Indiana bought the carcass because he wanted to go racing and he found, I won't say a loophole, but basically he learned that, if you could build a car that would pass tech for ARCA, you could go qualify for a NASCAR race. And so that was his goal. And um, he built it in a barn, took almost two years and uh, nearly cost him his marriage, nearly burnt down his house, you know, oh, working on the car. Like a lot of things went wrong. And um, he spent like his last $20 buying an open car trailer to make the last race of the 1970 season. And when he went to load it on the trailer, the car was so wide it wouldn't fit, and he missed the race. And that car, he was so pissed off about it, he <laughs> shoved it in a barn. And that car sat in a barn, um, I want to say for about 13 years, and then he sold it to another guy who put it in another barn not far away, and it sat in that barn um, until 2016, I think. It basically, this car spent 50 years in barns before it showed up on eBay with no drivetrain. And uh, some guy with a body shop bought it and sold it to me. And uh, and I bought it because I, I grew up just idolizing the Duke boys. And mm-hmm. uh, I grew up thinking, you know, a 68 Charger was virtually indestructible. So I, I've always had dreams of just sliding around dirt roads and running through the woods in one of these things. But, uh, you know, as I got older, I realized, you know, if you look real close at those TV shows, when they land, those cars are trashed. You oh, yeah. Can see the see the fenders crank, crinkle and all that. And so I never wanted a nice Charger. I wanted a really bad one that I wouldn't care, you know, if I slid into an embankment or a tree or something with. So that's why I bought this car. And um, we put it back together for an episode of Roadkill and road tripped it from Georgia all the way back to Indiana to show the guy who, you know, 
originally rescued it, but never turned the lap in the car to, to show it to him. Hey, look, it runs, it drives. And I was really hoping this guy would want to take it around the block or whatever. And um, he, uh, he was so unimpressed with it and, and it had such horrible memories for him that I didn't know about. You know, it was oh. when we showed up at his house, that's when I found out that he nearly got divorced over the car, that when he was cutting it with a torch, some sparks hit the barn and lit the barn on fire, which was also attached to the house. Like oh. all this bad stuff happened. And um, oh. I asked him, I said, Hey, do you, you want to take it around the block? He said, no, I said, you want, you want to go for a ride? And he said, no, he said, this thing was a death trap when I built it. It's even worse now. And at that moment, I'm like, uh, okay, cut. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't really have an ending for this episode of Roadkill. And and, um, and the truth about Roadkill is there's no script. So none of us knew this was going to happen. And uh, so the camera guys start breaking down their gear and getting ready to pack it up and we're going to leave. And he's like, you know, I'm really glad you guys came here. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, this thing, the barn was going to fall down on it. I'm so glad it's running and driving. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Turn the cameras back on. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and so they, they turn the cameras back on. And this part's in the episode. I get him to basically repeat what he says to me. But something happens. You turn the camera on and this guy kind of clams up. So it still doesn't come across that he's actually happy this charger, you know, got saved. Um, yeah. But the end result was we ended up naming the car the death metal charger because of what he said and it is the truth like this car is so bad like it, it the tires were flat and it was really low to the ground so it sat on a dirt floor for 50 years and so it's rotten you know if you crawl under it today with and you're lying on your back on a creeper you can see the roof of the car from under the car wow. it's bad and um sketchiest suspension you've ever seen like it uh he took some interesting things. He took C-body torsion bars, which are don't work in a charger. That's a longer car. And he welded the torsion bar boxes from the C-body behind the ones in the charger so that they would reach and have a place to go. And then he took the leaf springs and relocated them into the trunk of the car and made about 12-inch long shackles. And so the leaf springs and the shackles are in the trunk of the car, which is why this car is so low. And then to fit the rules of racing back then, he needed a full floating rear end. Well, he bought a Timken rear end out of a Willys truck, somewhere 49 to 53, somewhere in there, which <laughs> is a horrible axle. Uh, I mean, yeah. it, it, you can't buy, you can't hop it up. You can't put a spool in it. You can't put a limited slip in it. You can barely find bearings to rebuild this thing and you can't regear it. So it has 488s in it. And then um, wow. The biggest brakes he could get back then were Ford F-250 drum brakes. So he adapted them on all four corners. Um, so my favorite thing about this car is the worst thing. It has eight lug Ford drum brakes on this car. But I love the wheels that are on the car, so I don't want to ever change those. Um, and so essentially, this thing's really low, really rusty, only turns left good. It does nothing else great. You know, to circle this long story all the way back to the beginning, you asked about what I recently did with the car, uh, which is I took the big block Mopar we had put in there out of the car and I put a Toyota 2JZ in line six with a turbo under the hood. And now the internet either loves it or hates it, you know, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> but wh what do you think about it? Do you like it better with the 2JZ? I do. I do. Um, you know, the, the truth about that 3D3 that was in there was um, I bought it from a dude who... I don't know, he was in a hurry or didn't know what he was doing. And essentially that motor was unhappy soon after I bought it. It uh, the, the bolt for the cam gear backed out, the dowel broke, it spun the cam gear. It's not been happy ever since. And so um, 
we dyno tested it. It was making 320 horsepower at the tires. Uh, and we took that out and put a 2J in with a turbo, um, a $500 long block with a turbo that we put on there and made 518 horsepower. And it's a hundred some odd pounds lighter than what was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the thing I like about it is the noise does not match the visual of the car. <laughs> you know, you see this car go down the block and you're expecting something that you just don't get. And it's it just, I love that. I, yeah. I, I don't like repeating myself at all. <laughs> I don't like doing things twice. I love learning new things. And so I'd always, you know, the, the 2J is a fabled engine for good reason. Like it is way overbuilt from the factory. Um, the truth is, is, if you replace the connecting rods in a stock 2JZ, it'll make 800 horsepower with the right turbo on it and it won't blow up. It's an incredible engine. And so I'd always wanted to experience one and here was my excuse to experience it. And the charger's so junky, it didn't matter to me that people thought I was screwing it up by putting a Toyota motor in it. Um, you know, those, those people, they can, you know, go get angry about something else. Right. Um, but uh, but I love the car now. You know, it's it's uh, I've improved it as far as I've concerned. Very good. Yeah. People that hate it are listeners and watchers, and people that love it are listeners, listeners and, and watchers. watchers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I figure if you're that angry over somebody else's car, like you probably should switch to decaf or something. You know. Something, like, yeah. Like, yeah. There's uh, yeah. there's no rules to this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. There's never been any rules to hot riding. I mean, it's just right. You build what you got with what you can with what you have. And then you break it and do it again and change it. You get tired of it. You change it. I mean, that's that's the way it is. Suddenly, a Chevy and a Ford street rod is seems comforting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say this. Here's the thing. It's like, and and I think this is a good example of where you could go wrong with the no rules thing. I'm fine with doing anything you want to do in hot rodding, as long as you make it better. You know, immeasurably better would be great. So somebody um and it was actually the gentleman that i bought the junkyard 2jz long block from he's like now take that mopar and put it in a mark IV super and i said no that makes that car worse not better i would never in a million years do that <laughs> and uh you know and, and i didn't put a toyota motor in the charger just to piss off mopar purists i didn't um it's just a byproduct of it and i'm fine with it you know <laughs> but uh but i wouldn't you know i would never stick the 383 mopar in a mark IV super because you're literally making the car heavier and slower like, there's no point to it so there's 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 limits yeah I get it. Uh, hopefully our listeners go back far enough to remember you being at Mini Trucking. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I, that's, that's something you two guys got in common. Right. I mean, I was building stuff that was in Greenville in the late 90s and early 2000s. Ah, and, Greenville. <laughs> Run water. Yeah, Greenville. I mean, you couldn't get close to the street, you know, and there was 73,000 people on the strip. How did you think that you made the switch mentally from going from, I'm going to go like this, the mini trucking scene to, to muscle car stuff? Because it is similar, but so contrastingly opposite. You know, it, I never consciously thought about switching and it never really seemed like switching to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up reading the auto trader religiously and the recycler classifieds and, and just staring at muscle cars. I just, I liked them all. And the great thing about mini trucking was, you know, mini trucking is relatively young. You know, that that started in the 70s, basically. I didn't get into mini truck until the mid 90s. And we were borrowing from everyone. Mm-hmm. Every, every genre of automotive culture 
got taken from and tweaked and, and stuck on a mini truck. Um, and then it got innovated, you know, like, uh, you know, we stole from hot rodders, street rodders, muscle cars, off-road guys, and then we made it our own. I mean, you can thank mini truckers for modern day air suspensions. Mm -hmm. Um, you could take, you can thank mini truckers for taking the idea of channeling, you know, a model a over the chassis Mm -hmm. and turning it into a body drop, you know, and then a body dropless chassis like that. And none of that is mine. You know, there are way better guys than I am at this, but, uh, you know, and so I never really got out of mini trucking either. I just, I, I was fortunate. I, I got a job at mini trucking and then it seemed like there were always job openings at other magazines. And my primary job at mini trucking was tech articles. So just hanging out at shops and chronicling what guys were building. And so I kept getting that role at other magazines like off-road magazine and hot boat magazine. And so that just allowed me to just soak stuff up. And, uh, and it was all great in my opinion. You know, when, when I was a kid, I read everything. I read import tuner magazines, hot rod magazines, street rider. I, I read it all. And so it just influenced everything I did. I was like, well, if the boat guys are using aluminum to make this part and it's lighter. Why can't I do that on this truck? And if the off-road guys are, long traveling, this suspension, why can't I do this in this car? And I don't know, it, it all just shaped who I ended up becoming in the end, which is a guy that just likes cars, you know, mm-hmm. and boats, and airplanes, and doesn't really matter. <laughs> what happened? I mean, how did you go from being in mini trucking to uh, being part of what you're part now? Um, I'm ashamed to even say it. Um, <laughs> yes, I didn't, I didn't get along very well with my boss. Okay. Um, and so, and I was young and dumb and headstrong and, you know, thought I knew everything. And so, um, I was working at mini trucking and it was great. And I just, I needed to get away from him in order to stay his friend more than anything. Cause he's a, he was a really good guy. Um, and so an opening opened up in another magazine. And so I just, same company, same office. I just, same cubicle. I just <laughs> started writing about something else, you know? Um, and, but then from then it just, it was I would burn out on things, you know, you can only write the same magazine story about, you know, a lifted full size Chevy on 44s and, Oh, this one's red, this one's blue. And so for me, it was just, I got tired of writing about the same thing. So I would just move. And so I went from mini trucks to off-road trucks to hot rod boats, then over to sport truck magazine to write about sport trucks. And it, every time it was, you know, just finding something new to get excited about. Have have you found it difficult or or mentally that you have to change how you're thinking going from print, physical print to digital media? Uh, yeah, not today so much because I just I haven't written for a magazine since oof, probably 2015. I think was the last time I wrote for Hot Rod magazine. Mm-hmm. So these days, everything I do, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, my brain is always in work mode, and I'm always like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this today, and to do this, this, and this, I'll be filming this, this, and this. Um, everything revolves around, you know, my iPhone <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, at least when I'm at home doing my own stuff. Um, the interesting thing about it though is, is I think the magazine thing totally helped me in video because I, I firmly believe that anybody can host a TV show if they understand how to tell a great story. You know, I, I don't think it matters what you look like you know, how, how you sound, you know, to be honest, I don't like the sound of my own voice. Um, and so, but I understand how to tell a story. And I think I learned that from working on magazines, 
and, and from the people that, you know, coached me when I was working on magazines. So mentorship has helped you. Yeah. Because that's a lot of what we talk about is uh, what drives youth, mm-hmm. Y-O-U-T-H. Yeah. And getting the next generation involved. Right. Um, you yeah, because there's, there's got to be somebody behind us getting in, involved in the hobby and the industry and, you know, to carry on everything we do because mm-hmm. we ain't got to be around forever. Yeah. Yeah, we used to have these meetings at Hot Rod Magazine when I was there. And they would be with the circulation department and the sales department. And every month we'd look at, you know, the decline in readership, um, primarily on the newsstand. The subscribers stayed pretty constant because, um, you know, let's be honest, it's a dollar an issue when you subscribe. Right. So <laughs> people weren't canceling their subscription left and right, but they were they stopped picking it up off the newsstand. And um, and so we used to just sit around every month look at the numbers go down and try to come up with how do we get kids involved in this? How do we make a kid actually want to drive a car and get a license? You know, and we were thinking of, okay, we're going to build this project vehicle and put magazines in it and go around to high schools. And, you know, we, we were just racking our brains trying to figure it out. And, um, and then we made a YouTube series and the audience for roadkill, it's three-year-old kids getting their 30 or 40 year old parents to sit down with them and it just exploded. And suddenly the problem, I don't want to say it disappeared, but if you go to, like, we have an event called Roadkill Nights. It's on Woodward Avenue. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite things to do every year because you're these are literally our audience, you know. It's kids. They're everywhere. They're excited about it and they don't care what they drive. They don't care. They're, they're going to take something, anything they realize it's not rocket science anymore and they're going to buy something that hopefully has a carburetor and they're going to get a hammer and a screwdriver and work on it. And they're going to go road trip somewhere. And I think what roadkill did for, you know, not necessarily just hot rod magazine was it just showed people that it's not an exclusive club and you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to do it. And it's a lot of fun once you just put your ego aside and grab some tools and get in the garage and make some memories, you know? Yeah. I I think a lot of people have a misconception that it's, you got to have a, a six-figure car with shiny paint and chrome everything or numbers matching perfect mm-hmm. uh, restoration and, and then go sit on a parking lot in 100-degree heat on asphalt and, you know, stick mirrors underneath your car and, mm-hmm. and you don't. Nah. You know, that's that's okay for some people, but for the most of us, we want to get out and drive and we want something. I, I don't care if it's a patina car, if it's a shiny car with, with chips in the paint because you're driving it. I mean— Get out and enjoy the car the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. Right. I've I've been working on China plate type cars for 30 years and all my work goes in a garage and then never gets seen again, you know, because people are are afraid to drive it when when there's too much humidity, you know, and and I'm going to get my cars going to get completely rusted to the ground. And and then we don't ever see it. We try and tell these people to use their damn car. Right. But I think roadkill is open to a lot of people's eyes that you can take some beater car, Mm -hmm. you know work on it a little bit, get out and drive it, it's got to break down, you pull off the side of the road, you fix it, mm-hmm. or whatever, or social media, some friends, hey, I need some help, I need some parts or something, and I, I think you guys have really done a good job uh, opening people's eyes to that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun, and, and there's nothing wrong with the China Plate cars. No. Um, you know, To be honest, I my local Chevy dealership every year has a Corvette show. And if I'm home, I go to it uh, and I love going to it because I 
I get to see what they're supposed to look like. Right. You know, like I can't relate to a 32 Ford. I can't relate to a C2 Corvette. Um, I don't even know what they were supposed to look like. They, they did not exist in my high school parking lot. And so I love going to these shows, especially a show like that Corvette show or a show like, um, you know, up in Carlisle once a month, they, they have an awesome show in Pennsylvania where they'll do, you know, all Mustangs one month or whatever. And you just row after row of every generation of Mustang and you get to see them. They're restored. You get to see what they should have looked like, what they would have smelled like. And, and I love that because otherwise I got I have no reference for any of it. Uh, that's interesting. You talk about what they smelled like because we, you know, we do restorations and uh, we'll restore something or whatever, or bring a car in and somebody will walk through the shop and they'll they'll kind of poke their head in the car and it's like, oh, I remember the smell, and all of a sudden they're back in high school, you know, yeah. in the car they rode in because because of the smell of this car, mm-hmm. and you know, anybody that's in the cars they get that. Yeah, we get so many cars in that are family heirloom cars, and. An Oldsmobile doesn't smell like a Pontiac, and a Pontiac doesn't smell like a Buick, and a Buick doesn't smell like a Cadillac. And I, we get the so much, run the gamut of everything. You know, a VW Bug smells completely different than a 60s Charger. You know, a 66, 67, 89 Charger. They all smell different, and yeah. I, can, I can tell which one they are. If you close your <laughs> eyes, I can tell which car it is. You know, we get, we get immersed in this so much daily. It's crazy. Yeah, that is so interesting. That never even occurred to me that they would smell different. Yeah, um, and and it's materials. It is materials of what they're built out of. You know. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, see, I just assumed it was always carpet adhesive and mold we were smelling, and turns out no, it's not just that. No, it's not. <laughs> oh no, he could be. It very well could be. It's unique for every card, though. <laughs> it's fun because when you restore one, they don't they don't smell the same. We've had a car come in that has been a barn finder, a family heirloom car, and we're like, okay, this car smells this way. And then we get fun, get finished, you know, body off, your know, rotisserie restoration, we get finished with it, uh, and it's it's totally different because you can you can sit in a survivor car and go, wow, this is what this was. This is the feel of this. This is the smell of this. It's amazing. Right. Yeah, suddenly you know? it's 1970 or right. 1960 or whatever. Yeah. We had a 64 Oldsmobile in the shop the other day. And I sat in it and I went, oh, wow, it smells exactly like my brother-in-law's 64 Oldsmobile. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, we digress. So. Digress. <laughs> Let's get a little bit of history on you, Mike. Uh, what what sparked your interest when you was a kid to even like cars? TV. Um, Dukes of Hazard, the A Team, and Knight Rider, specifically those three shows. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Do you remember your first moment when you cared about a car? I mean, your spark. I've got a magazine hanging on the wall that's mine, um, my spark. What is your spark? And you're cruising along and you didn't care about anything and you went, oh my God, cars are awesome. Do you remember that very, very first memory? Ooh. Here we go, back in the Rolodex. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember not having it. That's what I'm searching for now is when did I not Right, care? it's hard. Um, yeah, because before before I ever had a car, I had RC cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, before the RC cars. Deep in the archives we go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, because I remember just reading the Auto Trader religiously every week. Yeah. And uh, I just pouring over and going oh my god look at that 63 nova ss like just i just remember reading it was probably the auto chair that did it for me like yeah. like tv got me thinking 
that's what I want to do. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to drive a car like that, you know, but then the auto trader made it real, you know, like these were in my town, these were for sale. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I quit playing sports and got a job, my dad would match whatever I saved. And then I could go get one of these cars. Um, and then after that, it was just one disappointment after another. <laughs> nice. That's that's the car. The cars he said no to just haunt me. Oh man. Yes, I feel your pain. Yeah, they haunt no. me. Was your yeah, dad? I, Go ahead. No. <laughs> no, no. My my dad uh, was not a car guy. Okay. Yeah, um, my dad was not either. Cars were transportation A to B, and that was it. Well, it was a th- it was a weird thing. Is he liked cars. He loved cars, actually. Um, however, he worked six days a week, uh, all year long, rarely got time off of work. And when he did, he, he wasn't going to work on a used car. Um, and so, yeah, he had new cars pretty much the whole time I knew him. Yeah. Um, but he also had a big block powered jet boat. And so I grew up riding around in the back of that since I was four years old, thinking that's normal. I should sit next to the motor. And uh, that motor's going to try to eat me, and it's way too loud, and this thing's ungodly fast. I thought that that's normal, um, thanks to my dad. Um, but my dad, he didn't know anything about cars, um, and so the first car I went and looked at after I quit playing sports, got a job, and uh, saved some money up was we went and looked at a '67 Mustang Fastback that had air conditioning. And uh, the belt was off the AC compressor. And my dad was like, oh, God, that's going to be expensive to fix. And you got to have air conditioning, son. So, no, um, <laughs> didn't buy that one. Oh, man. The second car, the <laughs> second car was a 60, 63 Nova Supersport with 327 and a power glide. And my dad thought, you can't drive this on the highway, son. There's only two gears. <laughs> so, <laughs> pa- yes. Passed on that one. The third car was a uh, Super Duty Trans Am, um, 73, I think. Um, and the owner told us the catalytic converters were gone off of it. Um, and at the time, I didn't know what that was, but my dad was like, son, that's really expensive. We can't get this either. <laughs> and so I ended up buying a beige 1976 Camaro with a 350 and a four speed um, solely because it had giant tires on the back of it. Yes. I didn't like the, I didn't like the color. The car was uninspiring, but it had a spoiler and it had giant tires. And so I bought it and within three weeks, the tires went flat and uh, the only tires I could afford were little tiny neural tiger paws that didn't look right. And yeah. <laughs> but at least it had a four speed yeah (laughs) it did it did excellent burnouts i mean it made no power but it did excellent four gears for all 132 horsepower oh my Uh, that's and that's being generous probably (laughs) it was funny too because my dad you know as soon as i bought the car then the car always needed work and um and all i ever did was work and my grades went in the toilet and i stopped caring about school and so for like the next 15 years, my dad was just, you know, it was a series of cars after that, one after another. And my dad was always like, you know, if you just stop screwing up with these cars, you could buy a house. And I was like, dad, I can't drag race a house. What the heck am I going to do with that? What am I doing with a house, right. dad? You know, and uh, yeah, you, I mean, I'm living in his home. So yeah, what do I You can sleep in your car, that? but you can't drive your house. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it came to a head. He, uh, he and my mom were out of town and, um, I went and bought a brand new Toyota Tacoma and I brought it home 
and I took the entire thing apart because I wanted to airbag it and body drop it. And I mean, apart, like down to the oh frame my. rails. And uh, I had pushed their Corvette out in the driveway. I pushed their jet boat into the driveway, shut the three garage doors and just took the whole truck apart. <laughs> and they came home and my dad was just lost it because he helped me co-sign, he co-signed for the loan for the oh truck. My. Oh no. Yeah. And all he saw was parts everywhere. Nothing's labeled. There's no little baggies. And I'm over there going, dad, I only need three wrenches to put this thing back together. A 10, a 12 and a 14. I'm fine. You know? And, and, uh, and he really didn't think I'd put that truck back together. Um, but I did and I, I put it back together and we friends painted it and we shaved it and body dropped it and airbagged it. And it, that truck got me the job at mini trucking magazine. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I felt like I made good, you know, I paid it off. Eventually. <laughs> I like, you did just fine. It's a, another <laughs> stepping stone. Yeah. I, lo- I love him though. <laughs> exactly. Ask him about the boat. Yeah. So Sounds like your dad is the one who got you into this uh, uh, obsession, if you will, about boats. Yeah, boats are dumb. Don't do it. They're really fun, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always thought so boat, boats stood for bust out another thousand. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it does. They're really, really unsafe and dumb. And um, However, though, I met my wife because of my boat and won a championship drag racing boats. And uh Oh, a lot of good things have happened to be on the water as a result of being in the boats. So but all the adjectives you've used are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have no game. I literally scoop my wife up off the banks of the Colorado river because I had a bright red fast jet boat. It's literally the only reason. You, know? you just need a fast car or a fast boat or a fast bike. Buy something fast. There you go. That's all you need. Everyone listening. Yeah, you don't need any. I mean, don't, don't be a douchebag. Well, yeah, there's that you know, too. Have a douchebag type vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Have a douchey vehicle, but don't be yeah. a douchebag and, well, sure. and you'll get the girl. So at what age was it when you got into boats? Uh, let's see. So my folks bought one brand new in 71. I grew up in it. Uh, they had that thing for 30 years uh, before I inherited it. Uh, or rather, they just gave it to me. Um, and... Um, God, when I got it from them, it had the original spark plug wires on it still. My dad never modified anything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the first thing I did was put headers on it and screw it all up <laughs> and uh, milkshake the motor. And yeah, I screwed it up good. But uh, w- when I really got into going fast in boats was around 2000. I was assigned a tech article to go to a shop called West Tech Performance Group in Mira Loma, California. And I walked in there and two things happened. I met a guy named Steve Brule. Mm-hmm. would be a massive influence in my life. And, um, and I saw his jet boat or, or rather drag boat. It was a legit drag boat. And, um, I just started asking questions. I was like, dude, what is this? He's like, this is my drag boat. Like, you race this. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you want to go? And I'm like, sure. And my life's been a disaster ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Steve. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I repaid him by forcing him to be in my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. But yeah, he got me into drag racing boats and um, it's just been a series of boats and engines. And um, the, the best thing about a jet boat, and it might be for any boat, I don't know, is that I can build ridiculous engines and stick them in a jet boat and drive them full tilt. When I, I can't do that in most cars, most cities, most roads. You, you, can't, you can't build 2,500 horsepower and use it on any given day. Uh, but you can put it in a jet boat and go out there and hot dog all you want. If you feel like turning left, 
it's usually nobody there telling you not to turn left. You know, it's great. <laughs> um, so that's that's really what I like about them. And and now you've got game over, which, which is just in my mind, just like absolute overkill awesomeness on yeah, water. It's the <laughs> dumbest boat ever built, I think. <laughs> I, lo- I love it for that. I absolutely yeah. love it for that. Uh, so game over uh, is a 19 foot long fiberglass Peterson placecraft, and uh, it's essentially a V bottom boat, but with two tunnels kind of cut into the bottom of it, um, and. Uh, it has a 711 cubic inch Sunny Leonard Chevy Hemi and two two turbos because you know it's not enough naturally aspirated. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know what it makes for power. I've never dynoed it with the turbos on it. Um, we dynoed it naturally aspirated though, and it made 1275 horsepower on pump gas at 7300 RPM. Uh, and then that was enough, so I put turbos on it before I ever. Before I ever drove the boat, I bought the whole empty, brand new, and I've just been building it ever since. And so I never drove the boat without the turbos. Uh, and with the turbos, it's like getting shot out of a cannon. It's amazing. I, I bet. <laughs> like, yeah, for like five seconds, you just pucker your butt cheeks and hold on and then thank, <laughs> be thankful you made it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good gravy. <laughs> Boats are stupid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is how stupid they are, though. Like a month ago, I trailered that boat from Georgia all the way to California to go hang out on the Colorado River just to be around other guys that have boats like that. Um, so they're stupid, but apparently it's a disease, and there's a lot of other people that have it. So. Yes, it's it's absolutely a disease. That's, that I hear I hear that. Yeah, incurable. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Now, we, now we ask everybody, and it's the stupidest question ever: What car did you take your driver's test in? Ooh, 86 Buick Skylark. Biggest pile of crap ever. <laughs> you want, oh, you want to hear something about that? Hell so, yes. Um, let me tell you How'd story. you break it? How'd so, you crash uh, it? How'd you parallel park it up on the curb? All of that. I got all of that. It's all related. <laughs> so um, my first car was that 76 Camaro. My dad uh, was the one to take me out and teach me to drive stick. Um, and this was before I got my license. And uh, he ended up walking home because he just think was getting whiplash and so <laughs> i i didn't take the driver's test in that car because i wanted to hedge my bets that i would pass right um and so then my mom starts teaching me to drive um during like the three months i had between i had my learner's permit and was going for my driver's test at 16 and one day we get on the highway in this car and you know i begged her to drive and she's trying to teach me and give me some hours behind the wheel and i get on the highway and just people are flying by us and honking and yelling and she's she's pretty flazzled she's like what i don't get it i'm like i don't either i'm going 55 mom i have no idea why these people are so pissed off and well the car was digital and somebody had put a button and put it on kilometers (laughs) so (laughs) they're on the highway going like 32 you know or whatever um and then uh so i took my driver's test in that car and i passed and then um Right about that time, my Camaro developed a rear main leak. And because I didn't know any better, I thought that meant we had to rebuild the engine. So I oh. took the motor out and my neighbor and I tried to rebuild it together. Didn't go well. Um, and then uh, somebody else had to actually rebuild the motor a second time. And I finally get that car back together and on the road. And I totally in the middle of a rainstorm, like this epic california two weeks straight rain we, we never get that you know i'm driving down a street that's like a hill and the 
roads turning left and the guy in front of me is going way too slow for my liking. And I decided to pull out and pass him. And as I pass him, my car just starts hydroplaning and I go head on into a brick wall and then sideways into a phone pole and uh cars totaled. Like the phone pole hit the driver's door. The driver's door hit the driver's seat, ripped it out of the floorboard and just laid me in the passenger seat. And, uh, I ended up crawling out what would have been the back window and sitting on the curb in the rain. And um, the car is like a foot shorter and U-shaped. The rear end's knocked out of it. Like it's a mess. And the fire department comes and they're like, where's the driver? Oh, it's me. <laughs> you should be dead. But I'm not because, you know, good old American iron saved me. Um, and the reason I'm telling you all this is I end up right back in that crappy 86 Buick Skylark for my senior year of high school. Oh. Um, and the only good redeeming value of that car is that, you know, you can do e-brake slides on fast food trays because it's front wheel drive. And, it's, <laughs> and as I discovered, if you jump it enough times and blow out the rear struts, um, you can then shift really fast from reverse to drive while grabbing the e-brake and you can actually make the back of the car hop up on down off the ground like it's got hydraulics. Um, and there's the story. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> fast food trays. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, it's like he invented the drift track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, works good for a little while. Yes. <laughs> Have a front wheel drive car we could use? We, we'll come up with one. We're going yeah. to try that out. We'll call you. <laughs> yeah. You just need a functioning e-brake and front wheel drive, and you will have the time of your life in a parking lot. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Sweet. Today, I learned from Mike Finnegan. Yes. <laughs> Bad man. Uh, man, that was ridiculous. There were so many stories talking with Finnegan, and we had to break it up into two parts. Make sure you stay tuned for part two. You know, Sean, we get to talk a lot. We do. Uh, you talk a little more than I do sometimes. I think sometimes I do take control of the conversation. <laughs> sometimes that happens. Our listeners can actually talk to us now. Good. If you go to our website, mm-hmm. getoutanddrive.com, go all the way to the bottom. You can go to our listener hotline button, and you can tell us important things, whatever you want to tell us. Comments, about. questions. Yes, accolades. Accolades, absolutely. Yes. Criticism, even. Yes. Tell us what you drive. Tell us where you go when you get out and drive. Yes. If you have a car show, something coming up, let us know. Be sure to follow our friends at RacingJunk.com. Use the promo code GETOUT to receive 50% off your Pro Club membership. Make sure you check out our website, getoutanddrive.com, for everything you never wanted to know about our podcast. You can learn more about us, you can buy merchandise, and just check out all the fun stuff on our website. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Like, share, give us your comments. Tag us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod. What drives you? you?